guys, and welcome to another episode of The Stubborn Optimist. This week, I am joined by, again, my friend and colleague, fellow entrepreneur, and, well, I would, I would say he's probably also a stubborn optimist, even if not by admission, <laughs> uh, Mr. Dylan Meyer O'Brien. Dylan, how are you doing this week? Good, thank you. I mean, I guess you could argue that anyone who's entrepreneurial is stubbornly optimistic because you don't go into business thinking you're going to fail. Well, exactly. So, so, so there you go. I mean, look, this is kind of part two, if you will, of, you know, our last conversation, which is uh, obviously mm -hmm. up on Spotify and all the different platforms now, um, where we kind of got to at the end of the last one, which kind of prompted this was we spoke a lot about your personal journey and, and the things you have achieved and all this stuff and the mindset you cultivated. Um, but we kind of got to that, that mindset sort of part and the idea of this, you know, uh, being optimistic, the persistence, the drive, these sorts of key factors that you've had to develop over time in pursuit of your goals. So uh, we really want to sort of dive into a bit more of that today and have a, have, I guess, a, an open-ended discussion that raises these different viewpoints about how people come to these kind of crossroads and make decisions because it very much is, you know, to use a, a quote from Empire Strikes Back, uh, do or do not, there is no try. Um, and, uh, you, you know, I was, and I bring that up because I watched it again the other, the other night and I went, you know, there's, there's actually a lot of truth to that. You know, I thought, mm. like, you know, it's, it's in a movie, sure, but it really is that type, that type of thing. You can, you know, try your best or do your best, but you're still doing it. You know, you can't mm -hmm. try to do something, but not do it. Um, mm. then you're not doing it and vice versa. So mm. I guess kicking off. Kicking off there, Matt, I mean, how did you find when you kind of were stepping into doing it yourself and, and entrepreneurship and building these businesses? Um, I guess it was even when you were building your music career too. How did you kind of find the way to motivate yourself and develop that, that uh, drive, if you will? Because I think it's something where a lot of people, you know, talk about motivation, but, you know, as uh, David Goggins often talks about, that motivation is finite. It's not really doesn't really exist it's actually drive that's the thing that gets you to achieve these things so how did you go about that you know i spend uh, <laughs> a large portion of my time wondering what makes someone do something mm. and what makes someone else complain about it and do nothing this is fascinating to me um, because I, I encounter a lot of people in my life who come and ask for advice. They ask, um, you know, either they've got a business idea or they want to know how to invest money or whatever. And they ask me this advice and, and I'll tell them, but most of the time I know that they won't do anything. And I, and I try not to be pessimistic about that, <laughs> but the, the, you know, and the results, but the results are clearly shown that to be the case. So, this is fascinating to me because I, how do you quantify that? How do you measure someone's um, drive or like, like that factor that makes one person go out and just do it and do it and do it and do it and someone else not? I think um, there's a couple elements to it. The first one is whether or not the field they're trying in is something that they are intrinsically interested in. Um, there's a great article uh, by Paul Graham on genius on his website, Paul, Paul Graham, um, that talks about genius and he looks at what makes certain people genius. And the, and the one um, overarching factor you can, you, is, is that they have an obsessive interest in something. Mm -hmm. So the interest is there before anything else. Um, and a great, a great example is Isaac Newton. So, uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah. So Newton was obsessed with physics and because of this, when you look at the paths that people take to genius, he would spend huge amounts of time focusing on something that the other physicists would think is stupid, a minor irregularity, or they can't see how it's going to lead to anything. But because he was so curious and obsessed with it, he would focus a lot of time on that. Mm. And, and that's how you end up, you do that for three years and eventually some cross something that no one else has done before. Mm. I think that's a key part because at the same time, Newton was also really 
interested in theology and alchemy. Alchemy being this idea that you can find, you know, hidden concoctions that can turn metal to gold. And theology, in that he was like obsessive, obsessed with studying the Bible and trying to figure out what else is in it. Both those areas of his life were complete failures. But mm. his um, physics, calculus, he invented, cal- you know, that air that became, you know, that's why he's considered a genius. So I think that's the first element is an obsessive curiosity or in, or in enjoyment from something. So you, you can't, I think the first part is you can't go into something looking for the reward. You have to intrinsically enjoy the process. So making, um, in my case, music or building apps or whether it's building Lego, I love building stuff. Mm-hmm. So for me, I do that even when there's no reward at the end. I, I would do that in my free time. If I was working in nine to five, I'd come home and do it. So I think that's the first element is like the, the curiosity. So if you're trying to go into doing something that you're not genuinely really already interested in, um, it's going to be more difficult because now you're relying on discipline and motivation. doesn't mean it's impossible, but you're not going to enjoy it as much. So step one, I would say, is find something you love that you're really interested in you're curious about um and if you don't know what that is try everything just go out and sign up for a tango class sign up for a cooking class sign up for a gardening course sign up for a, a, a plastic mold injection <laughs> seminar like whatever it is um the second part i think is you have to be dissatisfied you have to be dissatisfied with how things are. When you look at how, when you look at the productivity of people over time, they tend to drop off over time, especially after people become successful, right? They always talk about musicians who make the first album and can never make the second album. Or the entrepreneur who, you know, builds a big business and then he just sits on a golf course for the rest of his life. I think there's a dissatisfaction element to it as well, where you're not happy with where you are in, in life. Um, and that, that could be on any... Branch. I'm not going off a bit of a tangent here. So if you, if, if you tell me to stop, if this is boring. Well, no, no, I, 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 I want you to continue on this tangent. I just to add to that, you know, I think that really ties in with this, you know, sort of famous example where we have Thomas Edison. You know, he had 1,000 failures before he made a successful light bulb, and someone said, mm. "So you, you um, failed a thousand times." And he's like, "No, I found mm. 1,000 ways how to not make a light bulb." It's like mm. he was obsessed with this idea of he's like, "This is what I want to do," and to sort of tie into that that point and, and what you're saying, it's a lot of people kind of hit this point of, um, I guess it's competency, you know, um, mm-hmm. and then they go, okay, cool, I can do it. And they don't really allow themselves to obsess to obtain that level of genius or maestro or virtual mm-hmm. or whatever it is in their particular field. And conversely, there's those other people that they start out and they're really passionate initially or motivated, if you will, but then mm. they hit a roadblock and it becomes too hard. So rather than mm. continuing to pursue, they go, okay, look, it's not coming as easy as it was initially. Uh, I'm, they give up on the goal of becoming competent and therefore they give up the goal on achieving genius. But, you know, that's mm. just to add to that. C- continue with what you were saying. Oh, I just think, oh, yeah. So like, I agree. And I think the second, so the second part is your, you have to have a level of dissatisfaction. Um, in, in your in your life uh, and the third part is I think comes down to your own self look so look, and, and look, this this is different like, this depends if you're like talking about building business or if you're just talking about becoming really good at something like it's different if you're talking about building a business that has an inherent higher risk than just obsessing about something so you know because you're often putting your livelihood at stake you're putting there's a cost opportunity for your alternative career options, right? So in that case, I think a lot of it comes down to your confidence, your, your self-belief in that you can achieve stuff, um, and which then translates into grit. So I think what you were talking about originally is this, what they've kind of quantified as grit, uh, and David Goggins is big on this, which is what makes some people just go and go and go and go. And Angel Duckworth wrote a book I was going to say, yeah, I was about to say, I'm glad you said it because I just, yeah. I read Grit by Angela Duckworth too and she talks about yeah. in the opening chapters her own journey as well as, you know, mm-hmm. in the FBI when they figure out who's going to make it through Quantico and who won't. Mm-hmm. And 
the number one determining factor is not aptitude or intelligence or anything. It's grit, you know? Yeah. So you could be the lowest performer out of everyone, but you have the highest grit. You're the one that make it through. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, hundred percent. And they, they, like with the army, like you said, they, they said that it was never the person who had the best results. Never the person who smashed the fitness tests. Mm -hmm. uh, what they found is it's the person with the most grit. And when I did the test in the start of the book, there's a test for, you know, measuring your own grit, like a short one. I got full, I, like full marks on that. Yeah. Um, so I definitely have grit and yeah. that to me, so to me, what's fascinating is where grit comes from because everything else is like, you know, find something you're really passionate in, have, have a level of dissatisfaction with where you are and a goal of like where you want to be. Mm. And uh, then there's the two parts. It's what makes some, one person start, mm. right? There's a percentage of people that will start over won't start. And then there's a percentage of people who will continue over won't continue. It's the people who start and continue who will usually succeed. And so um, quantifying that, um, I think there's a big, I've, I've been, I mean, I thought about it a while. I think one of the things was growing up, my parents always told me, you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it. That was mm -hmm. like a mantra. So mm -hmm. maybe I, it's a learnt behaviour. Um, I was going to ask you, you know, where do you feel like you're, in, in your own life, where do you feel like you learned the principles that gave you this, this grit or this drive, if you will, because mm. I find this is a very interesting conversation. When I talk to people who are like you, who I feel are very similar to me in their, their grit and their drive and others who maybe don't have that. Um, and you know, whether it's a learned behavior or whether it's just an, a, you know, endemic behavior, if you will. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, well, in my case, I think that was part of it. I think also the things that I'm doing are playing to my strengths. So I, I'm really doing the things that makes me, make me curious and that makes me want to learn and stuff like that. Um, and the second part is I'm inherent, uh, like I hate not being able to figure out a puzzle and mm. all, the, all the things that I do are just puzzles. Like coding is, is big problem solving and puzzle solving music is problem solving, puzzle solving. Um, and so all that aligns, for example, when I've worked like I have in like an office job in the past, mate, and two hours in, I'm, I'm ready to jump off the Balti. It's shocking. I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time I can start working at eight. I mean, I do my days go from eight, eight at the moment, 8am, um, wake up at seven, start working at eight and I'll usually go till 1130 at night. And then sometimes till later, one, two, three, four, if it's a deadline, something coming up, um, without, without, without blinking, like, like it, it, it um, easy, easy mm. to do. Mm. So I think, and I think that's where you like your, your natural propensity to what you're doing comes in. Like I, I know a lot of people who they're smart, they go to school, what do the smart people at school do? They go become lawyers and doctors. That's the path of smart people. So they go do that. Then they do that and then they start working and then they're just miserable. They're earning tons of money working 60 hours a week and they're, they're miserable because it's not yeah. intrinsically stimulating to them. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, it's really interesting, you know, that, that point that you make because it does make me wonder why is it that, you know, if you achieve academic smarts or academic intelligence and you graduate school why is it that every single field is like lawyers and doctors even if you don't have an interest in it i understand that they're you know very well respected jobs that make a lot of money but there's also a number of other jobs out there that make just as much if not more that don't attract the same level of attention you know and and, and i find it very interesting as well when there's people that might ace maths and then they're like i'm gonna go and become a lawyer and i'm like you can't string a sentence together. Like, you that's, know. that's a completely different skill set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's just always, or, you know, people who go and do uh, pursue medicine, but, you know, they didn't sit the GAM set in high school. They didn't mm. have an interest in medicine. And, you know, mm. and I, I, I wonder if it's, I think very often it's kind of imparted upon them by their parents of what they want them to do and stuff like that. But, I mean, this was something you know, to tie into how you felt that you sort of developed this and how I felt I developed in my own life. I mean, for me, it was the same thing. You can do anything you want to do if you set your mind to it. But my, my father always said to me, find something you love. Because if you find mm -hmm. something you love, 
you'll never work a day in your life. You'll work harder than you would if you worked mm. a job that you didn't like. Mm. It will never feel like work. It will feel mm. like, you know, it's worthy of your time. Mm. Um, you know, and, and I, I, like you said, you're getting up at, you know, 7.30, starting work 7.30, 8 a.m. every day, working all the way through to sometimes 4 a.m. the next day. Um, mm. And, you know, I find the same thing in sort of in acting and creating things and, you know, I remember when I came out of high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I always liked this idea of creating and entertaining. And mm. part of that for me was, you know, in some of the films I've made in the past as a writer or director, you know, a producer as well. And some of the things that I've, I've acted in, I've had days where I will, you know, start at 4am and go through to 8pm, you know, that later that day or something, you know, and mm. it's, yeah, it's hard work, but it doesn't feel like work i'm like oh it's mm. so it's so invigorating there's a joy that comes from it but mm. like that i'll work an office job and i mean you know this we've worked together in the past and various day jobs to kind of you know make ends meet and everything and yeah like retail jobs <laughs> yeah retail jobs and everything. Yeah. it's the same thing two hours in we're climbing the walls we're playing disney tunes to try and like keep our morale up and everything and we're just talking <laughs> shit because there's literally yeah. nothing else you can do and uh, it's it's interesting to me some people that can do a job like that and just be like yep no it's fine I I enjoy it, you know whatever and I go it doesn't matter how much I'm being paid to do this it's not worthy mm. of my time I would rather mm. be paid less or very little to do something I love than to be paid a lot to do something I I hate now mm -hmm. naturally in an ideal world you're paid more to do what you want to do and that also comes from that like you said, that drive and that grit and that commitment to doing what you want to do that helps you not just achieve uh, a success to be able to do that, but to achieve that genius sort of level status where you can make a large income and support yourself and live off that. And that's really the byproduct of passion. But um, well, to, I mean, to be fair, a lot of the, a lot of geniuses don't make money. Like that's also true. Yeah. You know, like, so there is a, there's a large skew towards, um, people like Elon Musk who who are considered genius, but they're a genius in a field that also leads to accumulated wealth. Like mm -hmm. if if Elon Musk was this guy who came up with, um, pay, so he originally made his money with PayPal, for people who don't know, but he was the guy who built PayPal, but then made it free open source um, and then made a cent from it. And he was living in his dorm, still eating off ramen noodles. People go, that's really cool, but they wouldn't look, I don't think they'd look up to him in the same way. Uh, but there's, oh, look, that's not a, maybe not a great example because he is doing kind of stuff that's more revolutionary or evolutionary to humans. But um, yeah, if you're like really, really good at, um, at, at potting well, plants. Like Vincent van Gogh, he died penniless yeah. and mad and everything, cut off his left ear as people famously. Look, the advantage that we have today is that because of the internet, you you can be immediately connected to a million people who have the exact same interest in you and you can monetize that um whether you're running a youtube channel or a podcast or selling a course online on how to pot the best plant um so there's an extreme advantage in today's world where talent and genius can um cross-section with wealth although that comes up although that, that you know there's also elements of charisma built in there like if you're a genius but you don't have any charisma people don't aren't going to connect you as well so you're not going to do as well as people who mm. do have charisma i mean so you know let, let me ask you this um i know angela duckworth touches on it as well but uh, what do you feel are the building blocks to achieving uh i guess a, a level of success or fulfillment in your chosen field you know uh, you've got passion so that's different things right what it comes down to what you're defining as success yeah um well so, so i guess you know for each person they might define their success differently but it takes the same characteristics to achieve that really doesn't it sure. so yeah i mean i guess uh like what like what do you feel because everyone defines their own success individually but i would say what do you feel are the building blocks uh or what underpins that level of success i mean things like you know drive passion uh grit like you said uh how would you define it well um to to your point before the first thing is your value system so 
um, like when we use the example of, uh, you know, you smart people at uni, sorry, at school who do math and then go off to do medicine. Mm. Um, there's a, lot, a large proponent of it is the value system you're taught. So, you know, I know people who grew up where you went to school, mm. you got a job and you stayed at that company for 60 years. Like that was like what you did. No dreams or happiness ever entered into that equation. Mm. It was, you know, it's an old school mentality. Mm. Uh, we're, you know, in many ways, we're spoilt by being able to even think about happiness, right? Mm. Um, so the first part, <clears throat> the first part is uh, your value system. The, and whether or not that prioritizes happiness, as you said yours did, or prioritizes uh, uh, dependability, stability, get a job, get a real job sort of mentality. You know, the old saying like, that's not a, that's not a career, that's a hobby sort of thing, right? <laughs> so the second part is the obsessive curiosity. The third part is grit. Um, and uh, overarching that all is you have to have the ability to project what you think the future will be. Um, yeah. and, and so you have to be able to see it before it happens. Um, not in a like not in like a wishy-washy spiritual way, but like quite literally, you have to be able to see how this idea is going to look, function, mm. operate, and then break it down. Um, yeah, and I mean, and I feel like people have a better understanding of what grid is and and developing that, and that comes from the obsessive curiosity as well and everything. The value system, I think, would be really interesting if we can break it down. How would you suggest? Or, or how do you go about developing your value system? Not just, I guess, what's imparted on you by your parents, because if you have a value system that, that is taught to you or a moral system that's taught to you that you personally find over time you're no longer identifying with, how do you redefine that? The, the way I think about it, yeah, you know, my whole life, um, whenever, whenever I was pissy about something at school, uh, mm. like with my arch nemesis has done something, whatever, I'd come home and, and, I'd, and it, unfortunately, in my case, the, the particular person I'm thinking of from a very well-off family, life handed to him in a, in a silver spoon sort of situation, um, which basically means you can't even tell yourself like, oh, like one day, you know, he'll be pushing a um, garbage bin or something like that. Like, no, no, no. Like he'll just be in his trust fund on a yacht somewhere, you know, having, having a, a day off. So I used to come home and, and my dad would always say like, well, who's happier? And I'd be like, well, me, cause he, he won or whatever. And he'd be like, isn't he, isn't his, aren't his parents getting divorced? I'd be like, yeah. And he'd be like, didn't his dad run off and have a family with, a, with another woman? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, and isn't his mom currently, and I was like, I, like, I think so. And he's like, doesn't sound very happy to me. I'm sure he'd trade places with you in an instant. And while you know a harsh perspective like in that way what that did is realign my value system to who's happier um over time because mm. the way i look at it now is this by the time you finish school each person on average has about eighteen thousand days to live mm. you can actually buy posters you can buy a poster and it fits on your wall it shows all the days of your life on average and you can cross them off one at a time and that's very confronting because people always think that death is what happens to other people not them Mm. Um, and they don't realize that it's 18,000 days. So mm. at the end of the day, I, I just think to myself, sign of a good life is the number of days on that board that you're happy and you're not depressed. You're not um, feeling like the soul's been sucked out of you. You're not mm. anxious. You're not worrying about shit. You know, and, and so I kind of align my, my life to how can I, make the most number of those days happy. Um, and some, I'm sure some smart ass in the audience will be like, well, you can just go do heroin today. Like that'll make you feel pretty happy. Um, mm. So yeah, that, that's true. But um, from after that first time you do heroin, each time's not gonna be as good. And eventually you'll end up dying somewhere in the middle of that chart. So it's not a, not a, <laughs> a I mean, long term. I, I would also say, does that align with your value chart? Because if it doesn't mm. kind of, it, it, it doesn't fit the model, you know? Yeah. Mm. Um, and there's also a great course, if anyone's interested, on Coursera from Yale University um, on happiness. And they talk about a lot of the fallacies around happiness and how to truly be happy and how most of the time what we think makes us happy doesn't. 
Um, so I think there does need to be some work on yourself in, in shifting what the media, and I guess traditional um, 1950s and backward value systems were, which were about money and material stuff, and shifting towards something which truly makes you happy. Um, the other way to think about that is what are you proud of? Mm. Right? So, and the reason I say that is humans have a lot of really interesting ways of self-rationalizing. But one of the hardest things to self-rationalize is being proud of something. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, one of my, one of my good friends once told me like one of the best tests about, you know, a girl you're saying if um, you should stay with her is, are you proud to introduce her to your friends? Yeah. Are you, you going to be proud to introduce her to your family? Mm. Um, and I think that's a really good, good measurement because because what 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 is proud? It's it's a sum of so many other different feelings and emotions. Mm. It's a sum total. So, you know, let's if we apply that test to to the wall. I'm imagining that I have this sheet here. I haven't bought it, but it's, I think for for me even that that's a bit confronting. Um, mm. You know, you can go yeah, like say it was an amazing day, and I, you know, I did. I was not stressed. I was happy. I watched Netflix all day. Brilliant. And those days are good. Um, back when I used to have them. Um, <laughs> but if someone goes, oh, like, what are you proud of from today? Right? Well, that's a different lens. Now, if you've worked for the past two weeks straight, your butt off and then having a day off, like you might go, I'm proud I took a day off. Brilliant. But if you've yeah. done that every day for two weeks and you go, what are you proud of? You go, nothing. All right. Well, maybe that's not what you should be doing with your time. Yeah. Um, and that's like, I mean, those are some of the tools that I think I try, I try to use. No, I, I look, I, I think that's a great insight. I very much, you know, follow a similar sort of model. Um, I think for me, you know, I, like, I've, I've personally never. You're jealous of your comfortable chair. I'm, I'm very proud of my comfortable chair. Oh. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, this is, this is something as well where, like, I personally have never really been motivated by money. Now, don't get me wrong on that. Um, I, I like money. We all like money. We all want money. Um, but money is not the reason why I do what I do. Money is not the goal of what I do. Um, you know, being successful at what I do does not mean I have lots of money. That's the byproduct of being successful. For me, it's being able to do mm. what I want to do at the level I want to do and be able to pick and choose the projects and mm. be able to live my life according to my own personal belief system, which is, you know, intrinsic mm. to me, basically, and that I've cultivated over the years and everything too, and where the stubborn, stubborn optimist principles come in. You know, the byproduct of that success is being financially free and financially able to do it mm. and at a level where I don't have to have worries about that. And I can take care of friends and family and all this sort of stuff. So for me, you know, growing up and doing these day jobs, if there was a day job that I had that I wasn't able to take something from it besides, Oh, well, I'm getting money. Uh, I mm. could uh, rational rationalize. I couldn't reason it to myself of like, okay, this is worth doing. Mm. You know? Um, working in a clothing store and you know, you've done all your daily tasks in the first hour and you've got seven hours to go. I'm like, I, I can't, I can't do this. You know, um, mm. it's the reason why I had a lot of jobs when I was younger as well, because, you know, and I remember even saying at a job interview once they're like, Oh, you've had a lot of jobs. I said, yeah, I get bored easily. And they said, Oh, well, mm. that's a good trait. And I said, well, no, it just means that I can't find uh, anything that's actually passionate about the work environment. Anymore. Most people are mm. just passing times so they can get a paycheck. And that mm. actually made that job interviewer step back and go, oh, I think we need to reassess our, our work environment then. Mm. Because we don't think that's happening. But if that is, you know, mm. maybe, yeah, mm. maybe it's right. Um, did you get the job? I did get the job. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, funnily mm. enough, I, I did get the job. I, uh, I did the job for a bit. And then I, they actually asked me to report back and be like, do you feel like people are, are working for a paycheck? Or do you feel like people are yeah. actually would be passionate and enjoy what they do unfortunately mm. they were all working for a paycheck um yeah. <laughs> they're quite clear when i chose to leave but you know that's like that was just my opinion you know um but for me you know like i always wanted to work when i was younger in either a gym uh for, for a day job that is but like i always wanted to work in either a gym a uh, a cinema or a guitar store why mm. interests of mine i love movies mm. you know um, and I felt like it could be cool to be there. 
Um, I like exercise and I like being able to work out and that would be a perk and I love playing guitar and I love music. So I'd get to play guitars all day. Great. Guitar stores are quite hard to get jobs in here in Australia because everyone's either a family business or they're not going to hire you. Uh, cinemas, yeah, uh, they're also kind of hard to get jobs in, particularly village cinemas and stuff like that. But a lot of it is, you know, you think, oh, I'm going to get to watch movies all day. No, you're going to clean up a lot of shit. Um, <laughs> you know, you got to clean up vomit and popcorn and all these sorts of things. And, you know, the gym was a job that I had for a long time and, and, and loved, you know. But it, it's it's also one of these things where uh, you come across people that, like you said, they have a different belief system that maybe they haven't questioned or maybe it's just different to you where they have a different primary motivator, um, you know. And I think that comes down to everyone's kind of got these, um, what's the term I'm looking for? I mean, it, it's very much like a, a, almost like a code to live by or like a reason why they do something. Um, and part of that is, you know, there's things like recognition and, mm. uh, and, uh, stability and security and all these sorts of things. Uh, I think I've just got it here. I also want to inter interject. I think just to be clear, not everyone has to be an entrepreneur. No, not everyone has to build a business. I think one of the problems with the current structure is there's kind of this, now this new messaging coming through which is saying only fools work day jobs and like now you have to be an entrepreneur and now there's like a billion people who are trying to be entrepreneurs. You mm. don't have to be an entrepreneur either. So, mm. I mean, and, and that's the other thing, like, so now I'm meeting people who feel like they're not doing something because they're not running their own business. Mm. That's stupid yeah. as well because yeah. you don't have to do that. Like mm. the, if it, if it fits your personality, amazing. Mm. But you might be someone who gets all of their value and happiness from family. In mm. which case, it doesn't matter what you're doing, doing during the day because you want to just go home and spend time with your family. That's mm. the most important thing. And in that case, why would you then slog out an entrepreneurial lifestyle where you're working 120 hours a week as reducing what makes you happy? Yeah. But and the important thing is being honest about what makes you happy. <laughs> and it's very true about that because, you know, you do hear a lot of people sort of, you know, they're pursuing a particular life path and they say everything changes once you have kids, you know, and mm. like, yes, that's true. On the one part, you've brought a human into the world and they say, you know, it changes your your focus, your dreams, your desires and all that sort of stuff. But they also say it changes what's important. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like maybe they were very much pursuing, uh, you know, on, an entrepreneurship field or pursuing some level of success in a field, mm. be technology or, you know, something else. And then suddenly they have a family mm. and they go, all that matters now. And what I love most is this. And I want to spend time doing this. And that might be there. Mm. And what I was getting at earlier was, I, um, you know, sort of our, uh, like everything we do and Simon Sinek talks about this, you know, in his book, start with why, but it comes down to like, our why motivations come down to these eight sort of emotional drives that underpin it. And they're things like belonging, security, diversity, challenge, recognition, achievement, excellence, and contribution. So why we do something maybe, you know, in the belonging sphere, it's a connection from being with others or a connection with self um, security. So the desire for money or something like that might be to maintain security and control in our lives or in our life. Um, mm -hmm. it might be about diversity for you. So having a variety of excitement in our lives. So that's why people change things a lot or pursue different fields. Some people pursue a challenge, you know, they want to learn, uh, and, you know, learning to grow and, and developing themselves, you know, personal development, um, recognition is talking about the acknowledgements of our virtues and achievements and being noticed. I know that's a big thing for a lot of actors, um, and a lot of people in a creative field, like they're making something, um, or they're pursuing a field because that's what they love to do. But one of the byproducts of that is a lot of people have that desire for validation or for attention to be able to look at me, acknowledge what I've done. Um, and, you know, that's why things like the Oscars and the Grammys and all that sort of stuff get so much attention. Um, mm. Same thing with achievement, you know, the need to, to make progress in our plans to finish things. You know, I think that's, that's very much true. A challenge and maybe achievement is something that really matters to a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, same with excellence, you know, self-satisfaction and pride in the things we do, like you said earlier, and then contribution, the need to contribute to others. And you can have absolutely more than one of these, you know, eight drives. You could have several being used. I mean, you look at someone like Bill Gates, who very much started out with one plan and he's committed over 
50% of his wealth so far, and I think the other 90% of his wealth to the betterment of human society and, and the world and everything. And unfortunately, you know, he lives in a world where people, you know, say, oh, he's part of the social elite and he's a pedophile and all this stuff. And he's trying to, you know, mm. kill babies. And it's a bit like, who the hell are you to say that? But I mean, this, this is one of those things where uh, I think essential reading for anyone in this sort of topic and field are, you know, your people like, I mean, Jordan Peterson has a great thing on, you know, the 12 rules for life, Angela Duckworth on grit, David Goggins on can't hurt me, Simon Sinek, start with why. Um, and maybe even Brene Brown, you know, to, to understand their primary motivators and, and their shame um, triggers and all this sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite interesting, you know, it really makes me wonder um, with a lot of people, you know, why that is the case. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll pass it over to you because I kind of went on my own little tangent he ran for a second there. But um, mm -hmm. mm, mm. I mean, how do you how do you feel going forward? Because I really feel like coronavirus is uh, is going to change a lot of that for a lot of people. I think a lot of people will emerge from this pandemic going. I have a different view on life now. I have a different goal. I have a different desire or set of challenges for myself that I want to overcome. Um, and we're really going to see that, you know, this has been a massive time of reflection for a lot of people, but also people have been able to work on their skills. I think initially the initial lockdowns and the initial sort of life changes people went through was very much short term. They were just like, Oh, I'll mm -hmm. just learn a language in the short term. And, as it's mm. gone on in different places around the world, particularly in Victoria, people have really had to go, I can't escape myself anymore. I can't, you, you, you know, like I'm finding all these yeah. people complaining about the lockdown measures. I absolutely understand where they're coming from and I, I have compassion for them, but I'm also going, but there is no alternative. So when people are like, I can't go out and I want to go out to a bar, I'm like, you just want to escape your life. Like you just want to escape your problems, you know? Yeah, look, I think, I think, inside of that you have to give a bit of leeway for people who are just very socially energized um i'm i'm much more uh, introverted like i've been doing these zoom calls all day um mm. and oh i'm drained from it like um but other people would be buzzing from it um so that, there's always natural uh deviation um yes yeah, so i often forget that the rest of australia is in, in lockdown with us and the rest of Australia is out and about. Um, but I think initially people liked the novelty. I, I mean, I, I worked from home for a long time until I couldn't do it anymore. And at the start of this, everyone was going, I'm oh, like, working from home is the best. And, I, and I, in my head, I was, I was just like, well, just wait. Wait mm -hmm. till you do it for three years. Like it starts to wear thin because um, the lines start to blur between uh, homework Look, there's room for exception there. If you have a space in your house that you work, or a study, or like an app, like a, like I know you do, like the little study at the back in the separate building, yep. you can have that separation. Like when you go into the house, mm. um, you know, it, it separates. But for the majority of people, it doesn't work that way. So, yes, people have to. I think it, I think it puts into sharp relief what they're actually doing with their time. Yeah, because once you remove Netflix and your move drinking um, what's left so you, you know you might work for eight hours a day so you mm. start off with how many hours are you awake a day let's say um, 16, 16 hours yeah so so 16 hours you take away eight hours for work so now you've got eight hours left what are you doing with that time so maybe traditionally you're going to the gym for an hour or two mm. um, and maybe um, let's just pretend it's an hour and especially when you cut out commute time mm. like a lot of people might spend a couple hours maybe it's like four hours a day driving to the work in the morning driving home or whatever mm. um, but when you cut out commute time you've got all this extra time and so you're right people originally were like oh I'm going to learn a language I'm going to do this and that but once you get over those gimmicky things a lot of people have ended up sitting there looking around going not, not to be melodramatic not, it's not who am I but it's, but it, it, I, I mean, I guess it's a little bit of like, what is my life? Yeah, um, I think it's really goes inwards, if you will, becomes insular. And I, I, yeah. I think there was a study that they did that said, on average, when you factor in commute times and meals and 
work and all this sort of stuff, the average person has about three to four hours left over in their day for whatever they want to do themselves. And most mm. of that ends up being wind down time in the evening. And mm. a lot of people kind of that, you know, of that three or four hours, they probably spend about two of it kind of just going, Oh, what should I do? You know, um, yeah, they, they I, lack the motivation um, in these kind of, you know, once the novelty wears off, the motivation's no longer there. And they're like, I don't know what to do. You know, I've, I've definitely had that myself, you know, uh, and it's create, it's yeah. creativity and invention that's kept me activated, if you will. See, I've never, I've never had that because I've always had the hard thing for me is taking a holiday <laughs> because I'm, I mean, I made the mistake last year of saying for two weeks, I'm, I'm going to rest. I'm not going to do any work. The problem is my work is also things I do for fun and my hobby. So when mm. I just remove those, like there were legitimate times where I'd get up, walk out of the house, turn around, walk in. I didn't know what I was doing. I, <laughs> and so what I've realized is on, you know, now when I take a break, I'm allowed to do those things, but it's not allowed to be a work project. I'm still allowed to code, but it can't be for something for work. I'm still allowed to write music, but it can't be something that I'm releasing like, you know, on a, on what like a release schedule. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, this is part of this is a part of this is why re sorry, part of the re this is part of the reason why people identify with their jobs. What do you do? I'm an accountant. They think I'm an accountant. And uh, because they spend eight hours of the day focusing on that, um, you are what you think about the most, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. And if you thought being an accountant was just a job, you're wrong because you're spending eight hours a day being an accountant and the other time is getting driving to or from work, going to the gym and then watching TV at the end of the day. And so thinking about it. The, <laughs> and, and then thinking about work because these days there's no such thing as a nine to five it's nine to five plus 24 seven hours on your phone so um i think what coronavirus has done especially for people who are in extended lockdowns is it's made them it's first of all it's given them, them that extra time secondly they've been able to exhaust netflix like <laughs> the amount of people i know who are like well, what show should i watch next amount of shows that like that to me that's the wrong question it's what do you want to do? Who are you? What, what is your drive and your passion? Um, because these other forms of wind down, like while it's totally fine to watch TV shows, I'm not criminalizing that. It's the, when you spend nine hours of the day watching TV, that mm. is more symptomatic of you trying to numb and escape reality mm. than be present in it. Um, and if you're doing that sort of stuff consistently, same as video games, um or or any activity then you have to you have to like like anything that you're overdoing it's like what are you doing but people seem to never look at they look at how much they drink they look at how much they eat but they don't really think about how much time they spent literally not moving off this couch or mm. whatever it is mm. um you know and and i'm aware that people have different uh tolerances and and, and levels of motivation and driving stuff but i guess that's the topic what makes some people who's most who's happier Mm. who's more satisfied well i think there's also a really good point in that which is you know it's not just about working hard as well if you're very efficient at your work and you're able to work smart uh and you've able to condense what you need to do in a day down to a certain amount of time or mm. you're able to feel like you've achieved a lot and you're able to be proud of the work you've done even if it's only taking you an hour or something a day great mm. i'm not I'm, I'm not advocating against that as long as you can get mm. to the end of every day feeling proud of what you've done and feel like you've achieved mm important to you that's all that matters mm -hmm. you know if you need sure. to do that for 14 hours and that's what makes you feel invigorated and you don't feel exhausted fantastic if it takes you 40 mm -hmm. minutes and then everything else in your day is just kind of doing things for fun but you've done the thing that's important to you fantastic mm -hmm. um but i think this is you know that this that, that like this is this is exactly kind of what i wanted to to touch on in, in this chat and i feel like we've we've really been able to sort of delve into this and everything as well um is there anything else you sort of feel that you want to add to this? I mean, it's obviously you can go on about it for days, but at the end of the day, you know, how do you condense it down into a talk? Yeah. Oh, I, I look, it's such a broad topic. And there's so many people online now who, who harp on about this sort of stuff. I don't think anything here was new um, to people's no. awareness. Um, but I, I think ultimately what it comes down to is self-awareness and this is the this is the thing that i've spent many nights 
kind of analyzing um, because it's really a bit scary how many people aren't self-aware mm. um, and even scarier still how many people think they are self-aware and they're not. Of course, that goes into a vicious cycle of if you're, if you think that you're self-aware, like are you actually, or are you not? It's yeah. like, you know, but, but assuming some level of, um, you, you know, stability in your mental state, I, I think what it comes down to is knowing yourself and, and, and questioning yourself. And I kind of have a system in that I actually don't think I've ever actually taught anybody before, but um, it's, I call, it's almost like this, I always kind of have this feeling that there's like three whys to anything. So there's the, I'm going to the shop, you know, why? Mm. To get food, why? Because I'm hungry, why? Mm. Oh, because even though I ate breakfast, I'm feeling like depressed and, and I just want to come back. Like there's always, I've got this thing, it's about this, this three, minimum of three whys. Um, and I just it made this up over the years on my own. I don't know. I, I, and I, I, you know, I always just think, pretend there's a little like anno- annoying nine-year-old who just always asks you why. Mm. And so whenever you're doing something, ask yourself why, and then ask the thing that feels uncomfortable. So mm. even when, so when you ask yourself something like there's, there's a level of stuff, that, you know, you can be like, Oh, she's really mean to me. Why? Because she's an absolute bitch. Like that might be an easy answer. Mm. The uncomfortable one is maybe I did something. Yeah. And you have to face that. So ask yourself the uncomfortable question. Did I do something? Yeah. And now you might have the initial instinct to go, no, I did. But like, don't let that sway you. Like mm. ask yourself, did I do something? Maybe I, you know, unintentionally call her fat. Mm. Maybe I unintend. Maybe my tone. Maybe because I didn't. Maybe she's getting annoyed that I I haven't responded in for four hours. Like, mm. and then you go, oh, is that it? Or and then play devil's advocate with it. But mm. ask yourself the uncomfortable question. Um. I, I think that's where kind of the most of the answers to your own life and self growth come from. If you make your goal to be happy, mm. um. And you're not currently happy. If you're currently ecstatic without any medicinal help at all, mm. then you're doing something right. And you should just keep doing that because there's nothing to change. It's yeah. when you're miserable and maybe you're not, maybe you're not aware that you're unhappy. Maybe like that's more of a subconscious thing. Maybe mm. you're genuinely super aware that you're unhappy and you're actively taking steps to numb that. Mm. Um, this is the time where you, you stop trying to numb it and you start trying to do the dig deeping. Like, sorry, the, the deep digging. Yeah. Well, I think that's, why am I unhappy? Exactly. <laughs> the, uh, this actually ties really well into a behavioral economics uh, and, and behavioral science principle about um, it's called the iceberg motivation, basically. But there's a perceived mm. desire, which is, say, the tip of the iceberg, what we see. And underneath that, there is the emotional drive or drives behind the uh, behind the desire. And, you know, how we say the perceived desire might be, say, a house or a trip or money or maybe it's, you know, I want this person to go out with me. Why? Because that will make me feel like, because I really like them. Why? Because, you know, I've never felt this way about someone before. Why? Because I've never allowed myself to go after someone before. Why? Because I just want to be loved. You know, mm. like, there's always a deeper emotional drive, mm-hmm. a desire. Mm-hmm. And part of understanding that is being able to go and do the work on yourself. And, you know, like you said, uh, like if you go, I want to be happy, it's a very generic statement. And people often think, mm external to find things which will make them happy like materialistic desires you mm. know the journey to become happy is is inward it's insular and if you can learn to be happy with yourself and love yourself first then you will be able to have the things you want in your life and not feel like without all these things i'm empty um people so often if- blame others for their happiness as well yeah. which is not true you are you are yourself intrinsically happy or unhappy mm. and like i see this with relationships a lot people Face their life around their relationship, and that means your entire life falls apart when they're if, if and when the relationship falls apart. Mm. Um, whereas you should be independently happy, and then that the relationship should be a um, a benefit, you know, like a magnifier. A be- well, yeah, like a, a bonus, like it, it's something yeah. else that like magnifies and intensifies, but it's not the core cause. Mm. And so, getting really honest with yourself and and looking at, you know. Mm what you're truly feeling. And as I said, asking the uncomfortable question to yourself that you know is there. I feel like most people know the uncomfortable question they're ignoring. You know, I, you know, yeah. 
yeah, why why are you going out with this person when they when they constantly ignore you or they're whatever, mm. like they're not treating you well? Mm. Um, you know, oh, it's just we have a chemistry. No, no, no. why do you have a chemistry? Oh, because you know, it's just like blah, blah. No, if you dig deep, you know. <laughs> yeah. If you dig deep enough, it's probably like you know you don't feel like you're worthy and now you're trying to validate yourself by getting the attention of someone who doesn't validate easily and therefore telling yourself that you're worth something because this person's validated you. Like, yeah. if you dig, dig enough, those sort of things are there. Um, mm. But ask yourself the uncomfortable question, I think is, is my general Absolutely. advice in that area. Exactly. And, you know, to, to wrap it up, uh, this has been really, you know, again, fascinating and quite insightful. Like you said, it's not necessarily that this is anything new that we're talking about, but what I often find is sometimes, you know, there's only so many new things you can kind of come up with before people start rehashing things. Mm -hmm. What I find, however, is 12 people could say the same thing 12 different ways, but it might only resonate me with one or maybe two. It's the language people use. So if people have heard this before, or if they haven't heard it before, great. But if they have heard it before, but it's it's starting to stick now, great. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, there might be someone else that says it. That's why we recommend these readings and everything. But mate, Dylan, thank you so much again for coming on the show and, and joining me sort of on this journey to talk about this stuff. Because again, it's fascinating, but it's also, like you said, a conversation a lot of people will avoid and we're trying to, I guess, invite people to delve into that. and you know, mm. foster that stubborn optimism and that desire mm. to what they want to do in their own lives too. So thank you. Mm. No, of course. Thank you very much. All right, mate. We'll speak to you soon.